This podcast is brought to you by Bodog.net. Don't miss a chance to play at Bodog.net. When the odds are stacked against you, post-game tastes that much sweeter. Bodog.net, your source of free casino games, poker strategies, and live sports odds. All right, 12.01. Ricky Cobb from Super 70 Sports is going to join us momentarily. Now, you've you've spoken to Ricky Moore. I've, I've been with you once, and you said you've had him on maybe this might be the fifth time, AJ, fourth or fifth over the years. Yeah, something him on. like that, yeah. Okay. Now, um, if you and I started just uh, talking about our favorite Super 70 uh, tweets, um, would we be able to do that? <laughs> Some of them over the years here? I'm just, I'm just saying it might not be for everybody. Some of the stuff that he puts out oh, there. There's the oh. odd uh, curse word. Yeah, from time to time. Yeah. So, but I've like I'm sure you're doing the same. I'm like, okay, what's he been up to lately? I've laughed. I've actually laughed out loud, but three times during this past commercial break. Just checking out his timeline. Just just scrolling through the yeah. timeline. What he's done in the last day. Just the last day. It's <laughs> so good. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Ricky Cobb coming up here in uh, just a few minutes from now. Um, you still got the game on? You got a Carlton update for us? Last I saw was 32-26 Ravens. So let me. It is 36-34 Carlton at halftime. Okay. So they're in a fight against UQAM. Actually, I you know I just refreshed. I think it's it's. UQAM has a, has the lead. Yeah, sorry, 36-34 UQAM. Yeah, I read that yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah so just down two at uh, at the half. And, yeah, a, a little bit more vulnerable this year, this Carlton team that, uh, you know, suffered four losses in the regular season, which was not normal. They had one weekend where they lost two in a row uh, to lower-end teams as well and, and then really finished strong. But they got – Kicked around a little bit last weekend. I was at that game on Saturday night at the Ravens' nest as well, where the GGs beat them by 22. And a lot of that was what Ottawa did at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, I mean, they were shooting the lights out for sure. But uh, Carlton, I think going into this U Sports Final Eight, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, NHL Western Conference, I felt going into this tournament that. Look, Carlton was still the favorite because they're Carlton, right? And they know what it takes to close out games. They're going to be a tough out in this tournament. But it it feels like a very wide-open tournament, and we'll see if they can find a way in the second half to pull away and get to the semis. We'd love to see, at the very least, right, as someone who's a neutral, and you didn't go to either school either, right? So... No, I, 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 I took. I finished up my actual. Uh, oh, you did at Carlton. I took a okay. couple of courses at the end. Yep. There you go. But I think a lot of people have in this area, right? They have either Carlton ties or Ottawa ties. But for me personally, I'd just like to see both get to the semifinals and then play each other. And then you're guaranteed at least one of those teams in yep. the final, which would be fantastic for this city. But basketball in a real good place in this city, and. It was just a terrific atmosphere on Saturday night with probably 60% Carlton fans and 40% GG fans, and the gym was just hopping. Every time someone would score, there was energy, and just great to see and, and experience. All right. Um, the women, by the way, we should mention, uh, are already through to the semis, and, and the men are playing in Halifax. The women are in Sydney, Cape Breton Island. Uh, Carlton women with the 56-51 win over the hosts from Cape Breton uh, yesterday. So they're off to the semis, and they're going to take on the St. Mary's Huskies uh, coming up at 5 ET tomorrow in in one of the uh, the semifinals on the, the women's side. So it could be a very special weekend for uh, Carlton University basketball in general uh, out in the Maritimes. All right, so we'll continue to update you, uh, the men's score, but they're at the half down by two to UQAM as we speak. All right, just awaiting getting our next guest ready to, uh, to join us here, and that's Ricky Cobb from uh, Super 70 Sports, Just and I think he is with us now. Okay, let's get right to it. To the Gabriel Pizza Hotline we go, and we welcome in uh, Ricky Cobb. Uh, Ricky, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. How are you? 
I am doing great, and pizza sounds good right now. Let me tell oh, you. Does it ever sound bad? <laughs> N- never. You know, they good uh, good pizza is great, and bad pizza is good. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Ricky, uh, congratulations. Uh, we, we've been fortunate to have you on uh, the program numerous times here. So uh, you're a friend of, of TSN 1200 here, and we greatly appreciate that. But congratulations. You got a TV show. Uh, tell us how that uh, all came about. Uh, well, yeah, it's pr- pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I, I will tell you that. But, yeah, the genesis of it. Uh, began a few years ago. Jimmy Kimmel uh, has been a follower of my account for a long time, and he reached out to me. Just sent me a, a a direct message on Twitter. I think this was in the fall of 2019, and uh, you know it was just a brief message saying that he enjoyed uh, what I did and thought it was funny. And uh, not long after that, he had the uh, the president of his production company, uh, a guy named Scott Lonker reach out to me and we started brainstorming. Is there something, is there something here? You know, I think, I think Jimmy thought that the Twitter feed could be distilled into a television program. And we just had to figure out what that program would look like. And after, uh, after a couple of years of, uh, of kind of working on it, tweaking it, thinking about it, looking, uh, looking into who might be the right network to partner with, we, we ended up uh, uh, going into business with Vice, and I, I just couldn't be any prouder uh, of the show, and I, and I hope that people enjoy it. How much did that blow your mind that Jimmy Kimmel reached out to you uh, in that in that fashion? And then, then you get the <laughs> yeah. follow-up. It's like, hey, uh, what about a TV show? That must have, that must have taken uh, you back. It was uh, definitely a, a, a little surreal. You know, you, you, ch- you get the – you get the direct message and you check and you know, you're like, okay, well, you know, there's the blue check mark. You know, that's, it's, it, that's really Jimmy Kimmel. And it, it, you know, it's certainly for somebody in my position who particularly, uh, you know, three and a half years ago compared to today was, was, you know, certainly less known that, than I am now. And you're grinding away. And, and as you know, I, I tweet every day, there are no days off literally. And, and just to get that encouragement when when you're uh, you know in the middle of the journey and, and maybe you're not getting the the big payoff uh, that that you're hoping for it's it's certainly something that keeps you going uh, you know when you when you get that kind of feedback from somebody who's you know such a uh, such a figure in, in the entertainment industry so uh, it, it was surreal but it was very encouraging and you know I can. I can say that uh, Jimmy's a great guy, and, and he's—I think—he's really happy for me that this has happened, and he—he's been nothing but supportive. So, tell us about the show and what it's all about. Well, it's—we've got the very funny Chris DeStefano is the host of our show, and and Chris's career is is really taking off. He's uh, one of the best up and coming. Uh, stand-ups out there. He just sold out Radio City Music Hall in, in New York, and uh, he, he has that kind of uh, wind at his sails right now. And so, uh, uh, couldn't be happier to have him involved in this project. But essentially, the the show is uh, Chris hosting and three or four guests uh, joining him in the set that we have. That looks like uh, it looks like it could be uh, your friend or or maybe your own basement from the from the late seventies and uh, it's very uh, evocative the aesthetic I, I love the set that they put together for this but it's comics um, and clever people uh, sitting around and we go through every episode with a series of videos and photos taken from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And we just let funny people react and comment uh, on, you know, things that range from, from, from weird to, uh, uh, you know, just, just downright crazy. And, and hopefully it captures uh, what I do every day on Twitter. That, that was the idea to, present the same sort of videos and, and pictures 
and then just let really funny people uh, tee those things up and, and, and do what they do and, and make people laugh. So uh, th- that's the format. And, uh, you know, I was, I was even on a few episodes, which was a, a whole other thing that, that, that blew my mind as well. So, you know, when you are not only involved in the project, but you actually see yourself on TV, that's, that's pretty wild. Ricky Cobb is joining us. He, uh, well, the founder of Super 70 Sports, which is now morphed into a, a TV show uh, with Vice as well. So you've been at this for a number of years. So it's safe to say, Ricky, like you're jumping off point. You're a sports fan, right? And a nostalgic sports fan. Um, and you like to have fun. And, and you kind of, over the years, you, you well, you've always kind of tied that into pop culture of the day with whatever point you're making sometimes it's sports related sometimes it's not how, how has that kind of changed over the years where um I'm, i think at the very beginning it was mostly sports right but sometimes you'll uh, some of your funniest stuff is just you know remembering things it could be something as simple as the candy from the corner store you used to have and, and you'll make a joke about that and you know when, when did you really start to get into that that part of it as well um, it, it's, it's been kind of a, a natural evolution that has occurred in terms of, I think, me figuring out what I want to talk about and what the identity of, of, of Super 70 Sports is. But you're absolutely right. In the, in the beginning, I really thought that I was going to tweet only about 70 sports. But again, uh, I, I've said this many times through many interviews over the years. I, I just had no expectation that this was going to turn into anything. I never thought that it would gain a wide following. I would have been probably thrilled if you had told me eight years ago that that the feed would have two or three thousand followers. That would have been exceeding whatever my expectations were. In fact, I, you know, I would go so far as to say I had no expectations other than I guess I was just looking for an outlet to try to crack a few jokes and, 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 you know, maybe just sort of be able to explore that side of my personality in a way that uh, I, I wasn't necessarily getting to do in, in my day job line of work, which is, uh, a college professor. So it started out just as what the title of the of the feed is. And then as time went on, I, I, I think as much as anything, it was the fact that I was creating content every day, and that's not easy to do. And I thought to myself, geez, you know, if if I'm trying to be funny, and I'm trying to entertain people, why why tie my hands behind my back and limit myself only to sports in the 70s when it seems that people are just as interested and and maybe at times more interested in the kinds of things that you're referring to, whether we're talking about what it was like to get on our bikes and uh, p- pedal down to the store and pick up some candy cigarettes and and that kind of thing right the the cars that our parents drove the the hairstyles the fashions the the avocado green appliances in the in the kitchen and it, you know I learned pretty quickly when I when I tried to sort of venture into those uh areas a little bit that people really responded to it and I thought well thank god for that because if I'm able, if I'm able to comment on on these other things and people like it, it's going to be a little bit easier to keep this thing going because uh, the the hardest part of the job by far is trying to stay original and trying to be funny day after day after day. Your your reward in in what I do, my my line of work, which sounds like a sort of a douchey way to put it but in my line of work no matter how funny you were on tuesday you got to get up and be funny again starting wednesday morning so it's a it's a a, an unrelenting i've created a monster and now i have to feed it every day so i'm glad that people's appetite uh was bigger than than just 70 sports you started this account uh December 2013 and now 
uh, up to over 728,000 followers on Twitter. When did you realize that you had something? I realized I had something. A guy sent me a message late in 2015. Sports Illustrated had put together some garbage, pointless, online, end-of-year list that I think it was their Twitter 100. And uh, I got named to the Twitter 100. And there were some pretty big names on there with me. I remember Kobe Bryant and, and uh, you know, a lot of really legit people in the sports world. And then there's Ricky Cobb, too, hanging on, somehow somehow made this list. And I thought, well, geez, if, if Sports Illustrated has noticed me, even in the least meaningful way possible, this thing has gotten out of the orbit that I thought that it would be in. And, and then as you start to have celebrities follow you. That was another indication when you would look up and you'd be like, oh, well, holy uh, this person just followed me or this person just retweeted me. Those things still blow my mind from time to time. If I get retweeted by Ric Flair or Tom Brady, uh, which, you know, both of those things have happened, even now, occasionally, something like that will just make me stop and shake my head and think to myself, you know, I, I have no idea how this is real, but lo, lo and behold, here I am. So I'm just trying to soak in every every minute of, of all of that cool stuff. So we're speaking with Ricky Cobb, uh, founder of uh, Super 70 Sports. He's, he's got a TV show uh, based on this now that, that is just launching. So... You mentioned it that when you started, yeah, uh, I thought I was going to have some fun on Twitter, and I'm going to talk about you know things that I find funny and interesting from sports in in the 70s, and then it morphs into something else here. You know, AJ and I have been following you almost since the beginning. I'm pretty sure, um, but you kind of already already touched on this this part of it as it morphs into something else here, and it's called Super 70 Sports because that's the genesis. AJ and I have spoken about this many times. We love how once in a while, Ricky, you'll clap back on people that will point out you're talking about something that's not from the 70s, and it's not sports. So how often does that happen, and when do you choose to pick your spots to to maybe clap back on somebody? Well, it it happens probably pretty much daily. I don't see as many of the comments now as I used to. In, in the early days... I used to go through and I would read pretty much every comment uh, that I would get from people. And now I try to as best that I can, but with the amount of followers I have and the amount of comments that my tweets get, it's just impossible for me to see them all. Now, sometimes that's a good thing because you're not uh, concerning yourself with the people who say that kind of stuff. But I, I think as much as anything, it depends on what mood I'm in. And some people say it, and I think that they're genuinely just curious. They don't, they don't know the feed, and so they pop up, and they see that I've posted some, some movie quote from the 80s, and they just can't help themselves. They want to they wanna tell me. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they don't look and say, well, he's got 700,000 followers. Maybe he, maybe he knows what he's tweeting. You know, everybody, I think, thinks that they're the first person who's going to expose that I'm not true to January 1st, 1970, to December 31st, 1979. But, uh, but yeah, there was a guy actually last night, for the first time in a while, um, that there was a guy who made a comment, and, and, I, and I responded to that. Uh, but... It, it, it depends on uh, – it, it really depends on the mood I'm in. And I, and I think it also depends on how snarky I perceive the person as being. If someone is sort of just uninitiated and says, hey, that's not the 70s, that doesn't really bother me. But when people tell me that I need to change my brand name or, or whatever, you know, it, it, it gets snotty about it, I, I always say – I. I don't hit first, but I'm a real good counterpuncher. I <laughs> uh, always love your takes on on modern sports uh, as well, and I know I I, I kind of feel like baseball is your number one passion. So, what do you make of just 
the way the game is going, uh, and in particular with the introduction of the pitch clock this year? That baseball historically has been my favorite sport. I, I will say that I think the evolution of the game has gone in a direction that probably I speak for a lot of us when I say that I don't find baseball to be as compelling um, as I did when I was younger. I think the pitch clock is good. Is a good thing. I, I, I would have preferred uh, living in a world where they could have enforced some of these things without a clock, but if that's what it takes to uh, – get the stick out of people and get things moving. Baseball desperately needs action. And uh, all the strikeouts, uh, you know, are, are not action. You can watch a baseball game and go several minutes between balls being in play in, in, in this day and age. And that's in addition to the problems that we face with guys stepping out and adjusting their body armor and their, their batting gloves and, pitchers working as deliberately as heart surgeons so I, I think absolutely two and a half hour baseball games should be the norm if that's how it was for, for most of the history uh, I, I don't think there's any reason that we we, we should lose that co- completely as a as a society so bring on the pitch clock I, as far as some of the other rules the the the, the shift ban I hey you know I would have preferred just letting things naturally be the yin and yang. I, I thought, okay, with all the shifting going on, maybe we're going to see a renaissance of guys who aren't swinging for the fences. And maybe that guy who can go the other way and, and, and put one in the, uh, the hole between second and short, like Tony Gwynn used to do. Not, not, not that anybody's going to do it like Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew, but if that skill came back into vogue, Maybe things would naturally calibrate, but, uh, you know, we've, we've seen that that's not the case. They just swing harder and try to launch it higher, and uh, batting averages have suffered greatly. So uh, I'm in favor of banning the shift if that's, if that's the only thing that's going to change it. But baseball is, is correct to realize that in the 21st century, they're going to need to adapt because we have a, we have a pretty short attention span as a society, and Baseball has gone in the other direction in recent years. Well, and it's um, to your point here, nothing. And I, baseball is my first love, my favorite sport growing up. I like a lot of sports, but I had to pick one. I was a big Montreal Expos fan. That was my team. That was my number one. And I'm like you. I don't. I don't follow it as closely as I as I once did. And whenever I do, and I still watch baseball. Obviously, I hate watching a game on TV. And you get the you know center field angle, the the traditional at bat angle, and you know the guy has hit one on the screws. And it, you think, oh, that's a base hit. And then, no, the shift's on. <laughs> Line drive. Yeah. And it just it, it kills yeah. me. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm old man shaking my fist at that, but I kind of – anyways, I'd like to get maybe uh, that back a little bit. So I brought up the Expos. How does – because I can tell you've got a soft spot for the Expos. And obviously, you didn't grow up in Canada or Quebec or Montreal for that reason. Why is that? Because um, oftentimes when you're making some jokes um, about baseball, I, I see a lot of Expos content in your feed. Well, you know, I grew up in Kentucky. I, ha- I had a very sheltered life. I mean, I think part of the reason that that I became sort of who I am is I was growing up in Kentucky in a very rural community, uh, d- didn't see very much of the world until I was an adult, and I was fascinated by all the places that I'd never been. We did have a satellite dish, one of those big NASA style yeah, satellite yeah. <laughs> dishes. And and so and that was the Wild West days when you could bring stuff in. You didn't need you know, scrambling wasn't a thing yet. It it, it was it was really a different era and so you know, I would watch uh, as many local broadcasts as I could from from other cities and, and I remember in in 1983, uh, I, I used to, every year I'd go to a Cincinnati Reds game. My mom would let me pick one Cincinnati Reds game. That was about a three or four hour drive from where I grew up to Cincinnati. And every year, I mean, I had to choose wisely. And I remember in 1983, I picked the Expos. And 
went to glorious uh, concrete donut riverfront stadium there on the banks of the dirty Ohio, which was uh, pretty much the highlight of my year every year going to that ballpark. And they played O Canada before the game, and it was the most exotic experience of my young life. Uh, you know, and so there was something about the, those uniforms, the pinwheel caps, the great logo, the, the, the road blues, and then so many great players on the Expos in that era, right? I mean, I, I think the, the first time that I saw the Expos, they had Range, Dawson, Carter, and Al Oliver in the lineup that day and you know my goodness how how can you how can you not have an interest in a team that that has so many great players so uh, I, i've been a, an, an expos guy for a long time i'd like to think that i'm one of the most vocal proponents of baseball coming back to to montreal and i i hope that one day that happens i think montreal uh was done wrong in, in the way that that was handled, and I believe that Montreal could certainly have a successful baseball franchise given uh, another opportunity, and I, I think that in a just world, uh, we'll eventually see the return of the Montreal Expos. I certainly hope so. Ricky, what do you miss the most about that era of sports? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I think the Sunday paper. You know, I I miss the Sunday morning paper with all the statistics and all the box scores. I miss the sporting news in my mailbox on Thursday uh, afternoons after school. I I miss I, I miss the Kellogg's 3D baseball cards in my Frosted Flakes. I miss the I miss the the, the mini helmets that you could get a Sunday in it. Mm. Dairy Queen, you know, even the I've even seen and thought about buying a time or two the the CFL helmets that they used to have up in up in Canada. You know, what what, what could be better than enjoying a a Sunday from your Saskatchewan Rough Riders helmet? You know, so I, I, I miss all of that stuff. I miss Monday night football with with Howard Cosell on it. You know, I miss the halftime highlights on Monday night when we'd have to go to bed, a lot of us, uh, after after we saw those. So I, I, I miss so much of it. I miss the aesthetic of, of what it was like to be a sports fan in the 70s and 80s. You know, we have, we have so many options now. Pretty much every game is available to watch and available to gamble on if you, if you live in an area where you can have one of those apps on your phone. And we've got talking heads talking about sports all day around the clock and a million websites to go to. But I, I think I miss the simplicity and maybe even in a certain sense, the innocence that we had as sports fans, uh, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s. Well, I think you just we'll just wrap it up here. And thanks for joining us. I think that's what uh, you capture with, uh, you know, your Twitter feed, right? It's it's not just you're making us laugh, but it's nostalgia uh, for a lot of people. It, it just draws people in, and uh, uh, I encourage people to check out. There's a trailer out on Vice for the uh, the new TV show, so uh, we'll bring it back to that. Congratulations! Uh, look, really well, look forward to checking that out. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've got to get better at plugging things, but I will tell your audience it is called the Super Maximum Retro Show, and it's on Vice TV Tuesday nights at 10 Eastern, 9 Central. So certainly would love uh, for some of your audience to tune in and give us a chance to entertain you. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ricky. Thanks, Ricky. Appreciate it. There's uh, Ricky Cobb from uh, Super 70 Sports. Not from, is Super 70 Sports uh, on Twitter. He's got a TV show. It's 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 a remarkable um, organic story. It's just a guy, smart guy, good sense of humor. I'm going to go on social media and have some fun. I think a lot of people, that's why you get on social media. And he's turned it into a mini empire. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel is reaching out. Hey, you want to do a TV show about your jokes on Twitter? What? Sure. Yeah, let's do that, Jimmy. We're tight now. Good stuff there from Ricky. Joining us on the Gabriel Pizza Hotline, the official pizza of the Ottawa Senators. All right, let's take a break. Uh, Gord Wilson coming up at 1 o'clock still on In the Box on TSN 1200.
This podcast is brought to you by Bodog.net. Don't miss a chance to play at Bodog.net. When the odds are stacked against you, post-game tastes that much sweeter. Bodog.net, your source of free casino games, poker strategies, and live sports odds. All right, 12.35. Thanks to Ricky Cobb, Super 70 Sports. Just got a uh, tweet at us there, AJ. We can answer. Did you ask him if he ships to Canada yet? We did not, but we know the answer. He does not. Maybe someday for for his store because he's he's some of his greatest hits, jokes, and tweets have has become T-shirts as well. Um, all right, let's track this. Still, uh, AJ, Ooh, it is uh, still a fight. Carlton Ravens down by four, entering the fourth quarter. It's a fifty-seven fifty-three UQAM leading. So we'll keep you. Uh, Abreast of that, it's quarterfinal action in Halifax at the uh, U-Sports Men's Final Eight. University of Ottawa uh, plays coming up at 1 this afternoon. The women, the Carleton women, um, number one seed, they won their quarter last night, uh, and that event is in Sydney, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. And they'll be taking on St. Mary's in the semis coming up late tomorrow afternoon. So we'll keep you up to speed uh, on that here. Now, if memory serves, AJ, when you and I last spoke to, to Ricky together a few years ago, weren't we kind of like guilting him into just giving us a special care package? And that kind of fell through, eh? And I, I know it's not because of him. I, I don't think you followed up on that, AJ. We, 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 we could have we got a special care package T-shirt from Ricky himself. I'm just saying. I'll, I'll know, work on your, it. That's your buddy. I'm just saying. So. I, already, I already sent him a note. Saying uh, that one of these days I need to get down there and meet for a beer and bring back uh, bring back a load of shirts. Mm. Okay, go do a shirt run. Let's do it. Breaking news from the world of golf: John Rahm has pulled out of the Players Championship. He's sick. As uh, if if you if you follow golf at all, he's been pretty much the most consistent guy in the world. For almost a year. He just shows up and he's at or near the top of the leaderboard all the time. World number one. So uh, Rombo, John Rom is out. He has had to withdraw from the uh, the Players' uh, Championship. He is ill. As uh, we'll keep you updated on that uh, leaderboard throughout the show a little bit here. And also still tracking that Carlton score. Is that a little closer than you thought it would be at this stage, uh, AJ? Again, they've had they've had troubles this year, right? Like at at times when they're on their game, they've been dominant at times, but they've had troubles with all sorts of different teams this year. So, not overly surprised that they've been given a run because again, if you would ask me who uh, was picking going into this tournament just based on experience and what they've done at this time of year, I I would have gone Carlton for sure, but I knew that this was a lot more wide open than other years and that they were vulnerable. Dave Smart talked about it as well. A lot more vulnerable than they've been in previous years, but they know how to close out games, so we'll see. Down two and nine minutes to go, so we'll we'll see if they can pull through. And, of course, the Gigi's playing right after this. Scheduled to start at 1 o'clock. It'll be about... 15, 20 minutes after this game is finished. So, uh, yeah, great to have some afternoon basketball. I love that tournament. I think it was Matt Sakaris talking about how Halifax hosts great events, right, when he was talking about the World Juniors and some of the other events they've had there. I had the good fortune of calling a couple of U-Sport Final Eight tournaments. It was CIS at the time for Alberta, back from... It was 2002 and 2003, so I was I was there the year before the Carlton dynasty started, and I saw the beginning of it because they won in 2003, Carlton did. And it was always in Halifax for years, yeah. right, before they started moving it around. And that's a great event. They do such a great job with that. Now, I'm glad they move it around, and I'm sure, you know, Ottawa's done a really good job of hosting it on a couple of occasions, and I'm sure... Once Lansdowne 2.0 happens, right? Because I think we know they're probably not going to do any major events until Lansdowne 2.0. That so that means Grey Cup, and you know they've they've got the World Curling this year, and that'll be fantastic in early April. 
but you, you think of Memorial Cups and eventually World Juniors, right, as a secondary arena to the big one, which who knows, maybe by that time will be at LeBreton Flats. But you think of all the different events that you'll be able to have at the new Lansdowne, like they've had in the last few years. I think there's no doubt basketball is one of those ones that, you know, this community has supported it better than probably any other area in terms of regular season games and capital hoops in the country. But Halifax does a great job of hosting that event. And it's always a lot of fun being there for, uh, for this tournament because they treat it like it's a big time as they should. I want to get to uh, some of the texts that came in during our uh, interview with, uh, with Ricky Cobb. Matt just says I'd run through a wall for this guy. Matt took it as a motivational speech. Yeah. It's good. It's good, Matt. Um, what a beauty interview. My neighbor growing up had that NASA satellite dish for the TV. Coolest thing ever as a kid. I was in Edwards. Yeah, I always saw them around. It was always, you know, people that you knew. You couldn't have it in a big urban center. You're like, you live in just outside town kind of a deal. Because those things... They were they were exactly just huge, and those were the days. It was the Wild West. There was no piracy. What's that? I've got a dish. I'm just going to point this at the sky, and I'm going to get every channel in the world if I want it. Yeah, that was because again, we we experienced the shift, right? I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people grew up in the 13 channel universe, or even before so, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of people that grew up when there's three channels, but for me, it was the 13-channel universe, and you got your CBS and your ABC and your NBC and your PBS out of the States. You got the French Channel. You got whatever your local cable was, and it was CTV, CBC, and in in my case at Edmonton, we had ITV, which ended up turning into global. And so you got what was on those channels, and, and you liked it, right? I mean, that's – and it, it meant – but it meant that, like, for example, in baseball, and there were a few more Expos and Blue Jays broadcasts back then, but in baseball, you got the game of the week. So when you got to Saturday and NBC, and usually it was, what, Vince Scully and Joe Garagiola yeah. with the call, and you got some whatever it might have been, Mets and Dodgers this week. All right. Fired up to watch Mets and Dodgers on Saturday because that's all you were getting that week. And it was a different time for sure, but it, it made it appointment television viewing, right? So there's kind of good and bad to that. But every once in a while you had a friend, and I had one that lived out on an acreage, and they had the big satellite, and you'd go there, and, man, you'd, you'd see, like, the 200-channel <laughs> universe and all these different games, and you'd be watching the Bruins on Nesson and – Different different games that you just Fred didn't Cusack get. and Derek Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we used to get that feed here in, in the Ottawa area. That's the that was a, the funniest. Like Jack Edwards gets a lot of heat for being Jack Edwards, as he should. Okay, right. But listen, and, and you've you've been a play by play guy a long time. If you're doing a regional broadcast, a home broadcast, there should be a bit of a a slant, right? There should be. But I'll tell you what. Fred Cusack and Derek Sanderson doing color back in the day of the Bruins games. And they'd be piped in here sometimes in the Ottawa area. It was, it, the programming was different whether they, if, if the Bruins won or if the Bruins lost. If the Bruins were win, they're going to win the game, AJ. And at the end, it's like, blah, 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 clock winds down. The Bruins win, blah, 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 postgame shows next, sticker, and it just let's gloat about it longer. If the Bruins are losing... It's like seconds clicking off the third period. It's like, all right, that's going to do us, and uh, we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Bye. <laughs> and it's just we now join regular scheduled programming. <laughs> they could, and it used to be, like with I remember, I remember this distinctly. Ray Bork is playing for the Bruins. This is play by play. All right, he goes back for it. Ray's got it behind our net. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Up the wing to Middleton. <laughs> it's like, okay. Making no bones about it, I guess. Sorry. And when you mentioned just specifically that, oh, I just remember sure. Fred Cusack and Derek San- and Derek Sanderson. My, my my father used to laugh about this. Did a great Derek Sanderson. 
how he would just take like over-the-top violence and it'd be nothing. Just trying to justify a penalty that had happened to a Bruins player. It's like, well, you know, it's just, yeah, sure, you know, he got the stick out and, you know, he got him right on the noggin there. He's bleeding all over the place, and it's, but that's hockey. Like, I don't see the, that's hockey. <laughs> they got the stretcher out, but, you know, you know that's hockey. Right, Fred? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> they were known around the league as the biggest homer broadcast in the NHL. Oh, totally. It was funny. I, I, I found it to be high comedy. It was so homerish. And, and let's be honest, that's probably why Jack Edwards got the job, because he said, I grew up watching these games with Fred Cusack, and I want to be the Bruins homer, right? <laughs> oh, man. Anyways. Hey, we got to go. Got to take a uh, uh, another uh, another quick break here. We'll come back. We'll... Uh, we're inching our way towards the beauty that is Gord Wilson. He was fired up the other day. I'm sure he's fired up again today. Big win for the Sens last night in Vancouver. Getting set to take on the Canucks tomorrow night. We'll have it on TSN 1200. This podcast is brought to you by Bodog.net. Don't miss a chance to play at Bodog.net. When the odds are stacked against you, post-game tastes that much sweeter. Bodog.net, your source of free casino games, poker strategies, and live sports odds. All right, Gord Wilson's going to join us from Vancouver in our next segment. We'll get his thoughts, get the focus back on this road trip for the Senators. Just a fantastic late-night win. If you stayed up for it, you weren't disappointed, Sense fans. You hung in there, and you got a great ending. Come from behind. It was a Claude Giroux show late. Sogard was solid throughout. We should point that out as well. They had the quick 3-0 lead. Some bad bounces along the way. Found a way. Beat a very good Seattle team. Big two points. We'll see what they do tomorrow night in Vancouver. Gord's going to talk all about it in our next segment. Uh, yesterday, AJ, I mentioned this kind of quickly off the top of the show at around 10 o'clock this morning, but I want to get your thoughts as uh, people that uh, know you, listen to uh, all of us here, uh, would be pretty dialed in to what's going on with uh, soccer Canada, Canada soccer, and with the men and the women's, everything that happened uh, but with both our men's and women's programs over the last year. Well, now um, we had uh, four senior members of our national women's soccer team on Parliament Hill yesterday, and Christine Sinclair, Janine Becky, Sophie Schmidt, and Quinn testifying before the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. And... Basically, um, just going by, you know, Rick Westhead's got a great story on this on TSN.ca. Um, just condemned Canada Soccer for allegedly disrespecting the women's national team and drastically cutting its uh, budget. Christine Sinclair, here's part of her opening statement. As the popularity, interest, and growth of the women's game have uh, swept the globe, our most painstaking battle has been with our own federation and trying to obtain fair and equitable treatment in the way we are supported and the way we are paid. And there's a lot more, but there's there was kind of the opening salvo to set the tone from Christine Sinclair. So, AJ, uh, your thoughts on what happened on the Hill yesterday? And, you know, will, will this make a mark um, with our elected officials to apply more pressure? How do you see it playing out from here? Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a dance because, like, one of the issues when it comes to government interference is there can't be government interference. Otherwise, FIFA uh, can crack down on you. That That's one of their statutes is if there's government interf- interference in, in the uh, governing bodies, then they can suspend the governing bodies, right? So... Can I point out the irony? In yeah. That? Oh, yeah. Anyways, no. go ahead. We we all know that, right? <laughs> and so it's a bit of a dance in terms of exactly how much clout they have here, because you know the last thing you want to see, and it's it's happened to other federations, right? Is some sort of I, I mean, we we've got enough problems within the federation that we don't need that. But I do think this is a good thing that you know this is getting out there publicly, and and I think it's been demanded not just by the players, but also by sponsors that are putting money into this. They want to know where their money's going. So the, the, the problem that I had yesterday, look, no one's ever going to be happy, right? Whenever they come to an agreement, and hopefully it happens this year, because this should have been solved last year, 
and and to me, it's not a women problem. To me, this is a Canada soccer problem because there's there's one common denominator here, right? They're fighting with the men. They're fighting with the women. The men and the women are on the same page. They've had joint statements. This this right now is a Canada soccer problem, and so we we just need to find a way to get a deal done. There's going to be some give and take, and and there's going to have to be give from the women's national team players, the men's national team players, Canada soccer, and I think Canada soccer business. And I'm led to believe Canada soccer business, for those that don't know, essentially they signed a deal to get a lot of the revenue to start to create a soccer infrastructure in this country. Now, a lot of that is going to the men's league, right? To the Canadian Premier League. And I think that's where the women are ticked off a little bit, that a lot of this money is gone to create a men's league, but not a women's league. And I think they probably have a, a fair point there. Even though I am the broadcaster of Atletico Ottawa, and I'm glad that a soccer infrastructure is in place in this country, we can't get to where we want to be in this country without a soccer infrastructure on both sides, men and women. So I do think the concept of what they're doing with Canada soccer business, I think is a good concept. But everyone's going to have to give a little bit, but it feels like the common denominator is that Canada soccer, they they don't want to show any transparency. And we want to know, I think everyone wants to know, where some of this money went. Because as Scott Mitchell, who runs the Ticats and runs Forge, and he's the head of Canada Soccer Business, the right-hand man of Bob Young in Hamilton, who's spent a lot of money on this, Scott Mitchell said a group of courageous and visionary Canadians, including former national team players, made the single largest private sector investment in Canadian soccer history, having committed close to $100 million to the project, created a soccer economy without taking out a red cent. That is CSB. So cracking back, I think it's some of the people that believe Canada soccer business has just been taking, taking, taking. Well, clearly they've been investing, investing, investing. So then show us the books. Well, and, everybody, and I think everybody, right? Well, and I think that's the thing, right? So my sense is that, okay, if if we know, and I believe it, right? Because I, I, I see the day-to-day, and right, we came through a pandemic and, and all that type of stuff, so I don't believe that the Jeff Hunts and Bob Youngs and, you know, Rob Friends and Josh Simpsons, who are, you know, two ex-national team players that have invested in this league as well and, and so on and so forth, I, I don't believe that they are getting rich out of this. In fact, I believe they're getting poor out of this right now. So so there's that. But why is Canada soccer so reluctant to show a little bit more transparency? And, and I think it's because they probably don't want to know exactly how much that suit you got cost and, and that hotel suite that, that you got cost, right? I mean, this is FIFA. We know how FIFA runs things, right? Yeah, and it, and yeah. it, everything goes downhill from FIFA to CONCACAF to Canada Soccer and all the different federations, right? I think this, this is very similar. Different scenario altogether. I get it because there's no sexual assault allegations, thankfully. I mean, there yeah. were in terms of that white Whitecaps coach that wasn't handled properly, but it's it's a different scenario than the scandal that we've experienced in Canada hockey. But I think you see a lot of similar type situations where you've got board members that probably have it pretty cushy with Hockey Canada or yeah. Canada soccer, and they don't really want you to know how cushy it is because that money probably hasn't been spent the right way. They don't want Rick Westhead telling all the stories that he told with Hockey Canada about yeah. how many condos are on retainer around here and how many gifts you're getting in uh, your 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 hotel stays in five stars and your your tabla meals that are thousands of dollars. They don't want any of that, right? It, it stands to reason. I thought the same thing. You know, it's not apples to apples, but 
it could be a bad look if 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 it comes to light exactly dollar for dollar how you're spending everything so um, that's that's the only thing that makes sense i think you and i are both arriving at the same conclusion to use a political term why is everything in camera <laughs> why yeah well, there's got to be something there that's embarrassing that won't play well with the general public but to sum it up the women's national team's going to have to give up things the men's national team is going to have to give up things a CSB, I think, is going to have to be open, and I'm led to believe they are, which is good. Open to conversations in terms of, you know, where this deal is headed, right? Because you'd rather make 25% of 10 bucks than 50% of 2 bucks, right? You, you want to see more money funneling into the system, and then everyone wins, right? Then, then, but no, no one's ever going to be happy. But they need to find a way to get this concluded here in 2023 so we can start to build forward. We've got a Women's World Cup this year. We've got Canada who could go to the Copa America next year on the men's side. And, of course, co-hosting the World Cup with the United States and Mexico. We've got the darlings of 20 years that have won Olympic gold that, you know, the people fell in love with, in particular in, in 2012 and the London Olympics. And now you've got... Another set of darlings that qualified for the World Cup for the first time in almost 40 years with star players on both sides that are likable. Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Tejon Buchanan, Janine Becky, Sophie Schmidt, Christine Sinclair. Like, money should be pouring into the system. But instead, it feels like everyone's spinning their wheels here and hopefully – they can find a way to come to an agreement this year so that this black cloud is lifted across this country when it should be nothing but positive energy. All right, we'll leave it there for now because we're a bit late. But I don't know how, AJ, I don't know why you doubted Carlton. I mean, how dare you? It was, I, oh, Ravens win. Ravens win. 7371. No Over UQAM. Oh, no, no. Just who did I doubt. say was my prediction to win it? Oh, pure doubt. <laughs> well, now hopefully Ottawa wins and would love to see a semifinal game with the GGs and Ravens in Halifax. And then we know at least one of them's playing yeah. for all the marbles on Sunday. I heard your interview the other day with James Darwin. Awesome stuff. Um, that 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 would be that, that would be great if you uh, of Ottawa can follow that up here. They'll be tipping it off shortly uh, for their uh, their quarterfinal. Okay, we'll take a break. A little bit late. That just means he's he's frothing now. He can't wait to get on. We'll, we'll get an even better Gord Wilson because we're late. He joins us next from Vancouver on In the Box on TSN 1200.